Do you feel helpless to do anything in the face of the crisis in Ukraine? What if you could make a bigger difference than you think? Welcome to Sermons for Critical Faith, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. Today we hear the story of Jesus leaving the mountaintop and coming down into the needs of the world, calling us to follow. And now a reading from Luke chapter 4 and a sermon by the Reverend Dr. Sue Collar. Our gospel reading for today is the traditional story of the transfiguration of Jesus, that moment when his disciples see and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is so much more than they ever could have guessed. Let's listen to the word of God for us today from Luke chapter 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him from Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, not knowing what he said while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then the cloud came, a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent in those days, told no one any of these things they had heard or seen. So anyone who has grown up in the church has probably heard this story countless times, and I think Chris can probably attest to this. Any youth group that's been asked to lead worship has probably picked this scripture more than any other scripture in the Bible. So, by itself, Luke describes, I think, that experience most of us long for, that moment when we are, are lifted above the ordinariness of our lives, the routine of our lives, lifted above the, the wars and the crises of this world, and we find ourselves powerfully present in the presence of God. They are called, as you might expect, mountaintop experiences. Many of you who have gone to church camp as kids or even as an older person gone away on a retreat have probably had such an experience. There is something about getting away from the routines and the crises or just the stresses of, of everyday life that puts us in a better place to be able to be present with God and in a better place to be able to feel God's presence. Maybe it's because the routine of our lives and in that routine, we're just so busy uh, with school, with work, with family, with uh, 
all the responsibilities have that we've just crowded out time and space to pay attention to God or be aware of God. But when we step away, we create that space and extraordinary things can happen. Now, many of us who've had that experience long for a repeat of it. Or maybe we just long never to leave that moment in the first place. Because when we are in the midst of it, it feels more real than real life. Now, Peter, James, and John had their own mountaintop experience. Literally, standing there on the top of a mountain with Jesus. Now, prior to this, Jesus had asked them, who do people say that I am? One of them said, some people think you're John the Baptist. Others thought he might be the Old Testament prophet Elijah or one of the other Old Testament prophets. Peter was the only one who got it right, saying Jesus was the Messiah of God, the one anointed by God to usher in a new era of God's reign. But if you have read any of the Gospels at all, you know Peter had no clue what he was saying. How many times did Jesus have to tell Peter and the rest of the disciples that, yes, he may be the chosen one of God, but he was still going to have to suffer and die? And more than once, Peter basically said, I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. That's not what I want to know about you. Peter wanted a throne for Jesus, not a cross. So picture them on that mountaintop when Jesus starts to glow. And Elijah appears, and Moses appears. Peter was probably ecstatic. He saw Jesus finally as the king he envisioned him to be in all of his power and all of his glory. And his first instinctual response was to blurt out, let's build three houses for all of you. Now, if you're like me and you like to go read what other people have said about Scripture, you'll see that lots of, of scholars have debated the meaning of these three dwellings that Peter you know, just blurted out about building. But the scripture actually tells us pretty plainly that Peter just blurted out something without really thinking about what he was saying. I mean, he was responding in the moment to something that was, was just overwhelming to him. And then, as if all of that wasn't overwhelming enough, a cloud descends, a cloud covers them on the mountaintop, and a voice is heard, the voice of God, this is my son, the chosen one. Wouldn't you just want to stay on that mountaintop and just live forever in that moment? But Jesus doesn't live on the top of a mountain above the fray and above the stresses of life. Jesus lives in the world with us. He comes down the mountain. And when he comes down the mountain, he's met by the father of a, a desperate father who just wants his son to be healed. His son has a demon and it's taken possession and he just wants his son healed. And he comes to Jesus. Jesus also tells his disciples that those who follow him are to live and work among those of no status, the ones who are powerless, the ones who are in need. And don't forget before going up the mountain, Jesus tells his disciples that he's walking into the midst of the most stringent opposition he would ever face, and it would lead to a cross. 
if Peter had not been so overwhelmed with the mystery of what happened on that mountaintop, he might have realized that Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah about, and the word actually used in the Scriptures, the, the original language is exodus. It's translated as departure uh, in our, our uh, Scripture that we read today, but it's actually the exodus. Jesus is talking with these two great prophets about the exodus, the formative story of God's people through death to life, through slavery to freedom. Moses and Elijah were both prophets and leaders who suffered rejection and they suffered persecution. They knew that to get the world we wanted was going to take work and it was going to take sacrifice. You could not stay up on the mountain. In our Living the Questions class that's been meeting on Monday nights, this last week we were actually talking about the concept of the rapture. Um, if you're not familiar about it, it's okay. It's not something we really talk about in church because it's not in the Bible. But it is that idea that at some point God will physically remove faithful Christians from the coming tribulation in the world. Barbara Rossing, she's author of the book, The Rapture Exposed, says that such a theology is not biblical. We are not raptured off the earth, nor is God. God has come to live in this world through Jesus. God created the world, God loves the world, and God would never leave the world behind. Jesus comes down the mountain. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem, and he still came down the mountain. Our faith was never meant to be an escape from life. It was never meant to protect us from life. Rather, it calls us into a deeper engagement with life, and specifically in those places where bodies and souls are broken. You've been watching the news just like I have. My heart hurts for the people of Ukraine. I have many friends who know people in Ukraine, and they've been sharing videos of what's happening there, and, and I can't even imagine what it's like uh, to be there in their position, especially when all the talk that we've heard is that there's really nothing anybody can do to stop Russia. No one wants to attack a nuclear superpower. We could do all the um, sanctions we want, but we all know it's not going to stop anything. And so we feel kind of helpless as we watch the news and we wonder, is there anything at all that, that we can do about this? I've said before, God wants more from us than just our prayers. But even I am at a loss of knowing what else to do that would have some kind of an effect on this situation. And yet we can't just stay up on the mountain and just pray and hope someone else will figure out the solution to what's wrong in our world, make this place a better place. We can't just hide away and hope that someone else will deal with things. We are called to engage with life and to be in those places where there is brokenness, be in those places where people are hungry and feed them, be in those places where people are hurting and be a healing presence, be in those places where people are lonely and be a companion, be in those places where people are afraid and give them courage. Be with those who are persecuted and stand up with and for them. We are called to engage what the Apostle Paul called the principalities and powers of this world. 
those systems and those powers that work against God's promise of abundance in life for all people everywhere. It's not hard to identify those principalities and powers. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is an easy one to spot. Let's look at Texas. Governor Abbott is calling on licensed professionals and members of the public to report on the parents of transgender minors. Report them to state authorities if it appears that those minors are receiving gender-affirming medical care. Because he says state law calls that child abuse. What are we doing denying people the right to figure out their lives? A Harvard University study found that when blacks and Asians whitened their resumes, for example, used uh, more American-sounding names than, um, than Hispanic-sounding names, they got more callbacks for corporate interviews. What does that tell us? 25% of black candidates who whitened their resumes got callbacks, while only 10% who left in their ethnic details got callbacks. My brother, uh, when his kids were born, uh, it's, a it's another biracial family, decided that he was not going to give his kids any Hispanic-sounding names because he wanted them to be able to get jobs when they grew up. What are the principalities and powers in this world that are making this world less than the kingdom of God? How about in our own community? Where is there injustice in Lincoln? How about the systemic issues that keep people homeless or on the edge of homelessness, no matter how hard they work to have a more stable life? That's the story behind the Netflix show Made. Stephanie Land, who uh, that story is based on, through personal experience, she found that the whole welfare system is broken. It is full of traps that make it hard for someone who really wants to get out of it to actually Get out of it. I'm on the organizing committee for the Lancaster County Interfaith Justice Organization. Faith leaders from all over Lincoln are organizing to identify justice issues in our own city and then come up with a plan to address them. We're going to be having a one-day uh, all-citywide Bible study in May to really introduce the organization to the community and to all of our churches. I'm hoping some of you, I'm hoping many of you will participate in that and then want to be a part of the work. We're going to be talking to people. We aren't going to be assuming we know what all the issues are. We're going to be talking to the people that are actually affected by issues in our community. And then we're going to try to do something about it. Because we don't want to live just up there on the mountaintop. Now it is tempting to sit back and hope someone else will do it all because I think we all know that on any given issue, whether it's homelessness, whether it's war overseas, whether it's it's um, uh, discrimination in other states. We, we look at it and we think, I'm one person, what can I do? And so we just sit back and we hope somebody else will take the lead and someone else will figure it out. I'll be honest, I've been that person many times and it's still very tempting. I am not one who likes to go knock on doors who you're not going to find me, I don't think, speaking at a city council hearing. Um, I don't like confrontation. But here's the thing, while we look for a mountaintop to hang out on, Jesus is calling us to come down that mountain and get involved. Follow me, he said, down the mountain into such a deep engagement with life 
that where we work, the reign of God actually begins to break in. It's not easy. If it were, others would have taken care of all these principalities and powers a long, long time ago. The world would be a much better place, which just shows the depth of the need and the challenge we face. It's also why it's so important to be a part of a community of faith, because we don't have to figure all this out alone. We don't have to be the only ones out there trying to make a difference. When we falter, there's someone else in this room and watching online who can encourage us. When we shy away, there's someone who's going to say, well, come with me, let's do this together. And maybe we can't do everything, but when we come together, we can make a difference. But I also want to caution you. Jesus knew that coming down the mountain meant a cross. Sometimes there's a price to pay for working for justice and working for wholeness and working for healing. As of at least Thursday, 1,600 people at least have already been arrested in Russia just for attending protests against the attack on Ukraine. Just for being there. When we stand up for what is right and when we challenge the powers and the principalities of this world, even our own city, we may lose some friends. We may face repercussions that we can't imagine what they would be or anticipate right now. But it doesn't change the fact that we are called to come down the mountain. We are called to deeply engage with life. We are called to heal the sick. We're called to feed the hungry. We're called to stand against those forces that dehumanize people. The story of the transfiguration really challenges us to ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be the hands and feet and heart of Jesus in this world? I know the mountaintop is attractive. I've been there, and if I could be there again, I'd be there in a minute. I would love to just run away sometimes and just soak in God's presence. But we can't stay there. Just like we can't stay in this building. We can't make this space our own little mountaintop and wall ourselves off from the needs in the world or in our community. I think Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John to experience that moment so they could be sustained when they were down in the valleys speaking to those needs before them and facing the opposition of those in power. Because it is hard work. And it helps to have those mountaintop experiences to remember and to draw from when we're in the midst of the valleys. I hope you join us in the valley because that's where Jesus is. Thanks for listening. You can access all of our previous episodes on Anchor or your favorite source for podcasts. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or join us on Facebook.